0: Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt.
0: We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships.
1: If you have those kinds of questions, too,
0: you're in the right place. Here we go. Liz, welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. So good to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I say so good to have you with us as though Sherry is here with me. That was the intention when we set this up, Sherry and I were going to interview you and welcome you uh, together, but she has been called away on family kind of medical duty uh, without getting real specific. We are definitely of that age where our parents are, um, you know, they could use a hand once in a while. And so, Sherry is giving that that hand and and uh, was at a point today where getting on a Zoom call was not going to work. But I appreciate you still going through and, and chatting with me, Liz. Liz has got a, a really impactful story full of realizations from different stages in life. And when we started to learn your story, that's when we knew, Liz, we just had to have you on the podcast. So again, thanks for being here. Yeah, before we get into your story we've been doing this listener question thing for some time now where listeners have an opportunity to email questions into us uh, if you have a question you'd like sherry and I to address you can email it to matt at sober and, and if we can find a great place to fit it into the podcast we will address your question we are not therapists or psychologists this is This is real life experience that we're basing our answers on. So even though we had planned for Sherry to address this question with me, I'm going to go ahead and take a quick stab at it, and then we'll get into our conversation, Liz. The listener question for today is, was there ever a point in your recovery where you thought you wouldn't make it out? Great question. I'm going to address that from both an individual standpoint and then standpoint of our relationship from an individual standpoint i have to be honest i think i was arrogant enough that i never thought that i couldn't get sober i often thought i didn't want to get sober i would get 6 months into sobriety and say ugh i'm still super depressed this sucks i'm just going to drink so i would do things like that and i would put rules around my alcohol consumption which we've talked about lots of different times, but I never questioned whether I could. It was always a question of motivation. Do the reasons for sobriety outweigh the, um, the reasons for continuing to drink? Now, when it comes to the relationship, that's an entirely different answer. I did think that our marriage was not gonna survive, but not when you might think I would have had those thoughts. When we were in the throes of active addiction, And when I was causing trauma and chaos because of my drinking, I never worried about getting divorced then. It wasn't until I was getting sober. I mean, toward the end of my active addiction, when Sherry detached, I really started to worry about what was going on with her. I guess I did think that there's a chance she could leave then. But that wasn't even the rock bottom, if you will, for the relationship that for me, the real super big fear that I had that she was going to leave and it was going to be over was when I was sober enough to really be paying attention to her and her emotions and be able to feel some empathy toward her. And I realized, Oh my God, she doesn't really like me very much. Uh, We still said we loved each other and I still believe she always loved me, but the fact that she didn't like me became really, really worrisome. I realized you can't live your life happily with someone that you don't like. You can live with someone you love. You can't live with someone you don't like. And so I don't remember exact timing, but it was probably six months into my sobriety when I realized this this marriage might not make it. And so that was pretty terrifying. So the answer is yes, there was definitely a point in our marriage recovery when I worried we didn't make it out, we wouldn't make it out. And it's not the point that you might think that that happened. I picked this question, Liz, specifically because you are in a point in your marriage where you are hopeful and you are working and you are doing the things you can but the you know the outcome the overall happiness gauge for long term that's still way up in the air and undecided and so i thought this would be an appropriate listener question for us to address on the day that we're going to talk to you so let's back up though before before we get into the current status of your relationship we let's talk about this in our echoes of recovery group we asked a question a few weeks ago your response to that question is why you're here today we were so intrigued by your response we asked about feeling good enough about yourself feel like feeling like you were good enough and your your initial response was is super interesting you said that you You didn't think that you felt like you weren't good enough. You felt pretty good overall about yourself. Um, and then you started to explore some of the experiences throughout your life, including back to childhood. am i am I summarizing that right? First of all, did you did you feel like you were in pretty good shape, self-esteem, and confidence wise?
1: Yeah. So when that email first came and I read what the writing assignment was for the week, I just thought, well, You know, I, I know who I am, like focus on truth. And so I really didn't feel like I needed to write anything. I just thought, well, I'll join the call just to, to just soak up what I can from the call itself, but I didn't need to write, but I kept, you know, the writing prompts that I knew what it was going to be. And just like over the course of a few days, I just kept thinking about that and thinking about it. And finally, the day before the call Um, I thought, well, a friend had been encouraging me to journal and I had just gotten a new journal and I'd only written in it one other time. And actually it was kind of funny because again, I didn't really think I wanted to journal but the one other time when I'd been in this new journal, I journaled for five pages. Hmm. And so it was kind of a similar experience here that I thought, I don't know about this journaling thing but I sat down and I just thought, I know what's truth, I know I am good enough but a little thought just kind of wiggled in and said, do you I always feel that way? And so that's when I just started writing and what I truly thought I would start writing about my current um, situation with my spouse. I thought like that, that's where this story would start. Like it started back being a kid living on the family farm. So I just, and then all of a sudden it went from my grandpa to boyfriends and then to my husband. And I realized, um, how oh, it went back quite a ways. And so it's just been interesting kind of working on my own self and my own recovery, realizing how many things that my husband does are just triggers from childhood. And I mean, I'm in my late 40s, so... It's a long time, 40 years worth, I guess, of unpacking, constant, always having an an alcoholic very close to me, if not multiple of them.
0: Yeah, 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 that's fascinating. So So you've got the fresh, new, only once entered into journal. And you've got this prompt and you sit down and like literally in the moment when you were starting to try to write, you thought you were going to write about your current relationship and then just a wave of, no, I'm going to write about this childhood stuff. that's just kind of came like, to you.
1: Absolutely. Like I have no idea, like, yeah, pen to paper, you know, like I'm looking at it right now too, as we're talking. And I, I that is not at all where I thought it was going to start. So I I don't know what came over me.
0: (laughs) Writing is a fascinating process. And I want to, before we get into the story, I want to just highlight the process of writing and how it differs from talking. I, I am a writer. I have written lots and lots and lots. There are a handful of times where I've written and I've actually had to read back what I wrote to know what was in there. That's it's occasionally such an out of body experience. And I think that that is when the thing that's coming out most needs to get out. It's there's something, you know, they say we only have conscious access to something like 10% of our brain. And I always assumed that other 90% was just lying dormant. And now I don't believe that at all. I think there's a lot going on in that other 90% that we just don't have access to. And it sounds like you had one of those experiences, like I said, that I've I've had maybe a dozen or so times over the years, where the thing that's coming out is just a complete shock. And uh, it, it, but there's so many healing properties to that. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't write about um, you know a, a great uh, meal that we had in fourth grade or something mundane like that. The stuff we write about in those moments is really impactful. So with that said, uh, just a little promotion there for journaling or writing to prompts or whatever kind of writing our listeners want to do. With that said, will you tell us the story about your childhood on the farm and and what came out that day?
1: Um, So do you want me to read the journal entry, like more or less, like what I wrote for the writing assignment, kind of?
0: Why don't we... Why don't we just kind of talk about it because I want to be able to ask questions and I don't want to feel rude for interrupting you. Interrupting,
1: okay. So I guess um, I was born to my mom who was in high school when I was born. So while you might think that I have like the typical daddy issues or something, um, my parents did eventually marry, um, but I never really, um, I never, my dad, my biological dad lived in my home for most of my life but he wasn't the like, he wasn't the male figure in life. It was my grandpa and we lived on the family farm. So there were three houses pretty much on the farm. Um, And my grandpa was, I mean, he was always an alcoholic. And I think, you know, like I wrote about, he wasn't, he wasn't a mean drunk. He wasn't a happy drunk. He was just, he was just always
0: drunk. It's just how he was. So, Um, So set the scene for me. So three houses, you and your mom and biological, you guys live on in one house and who else is in the other two and houses?
1: So my grandpa and grandma were right next door. And then about a half mile down the road was one of my uncles and his children.
0: Okay. okay. So we
1: all just very close and I have a sure. aunt that lived. So just all of us very close there. Um, I was probably the only grandchild that liked farming. So, you know, it was an... We had crops, we had livestock, and I kind of got picked on that I was, you know, grandpa's girl, and I just, I loved being with my grandpa, but you knew that, you know, you could start your day early, but every day by, you know, 6 p.m., grandpa was gone, he was passed out in the living room, and his day was over.
0: Did you know he was passed out, or did you just think when you were a kid, did you think he was just tired from farming?
1: No, we always knew he wasn't shy. He wasn't shy about it. Um, He always drank hard liquor and I can like my grandpa's who taught me how to drive and he would have me drive him to the liquor store and he wouldn't let me drink and drive, but he would, I was, always drinking the tops off of his soda so that he would have room to add his, his whiskey or whatever. Um, (laughs) And then he would buy me, you know, liquor at 14, 15 years old. And that was my payment for driving him. But so we just always had a really close relationship, but it was always kind of, I mean, it was crazy, you know, but
0: what did your what parents knew. Sure. What did your parents think about all the time that you were spending with your grandfather, knowing that he was drinking hard every day? Was that, was that part of it at all?
1: Well, oddly enough, my parents didn't drink. So my dad um, has had a drinking problem over the years, but for most of my childhood, probably, yeah, like all of my growing up years, my dad and mom did not drink. So it's kind of bizarre to me that they didn't, I don't know, that we didn't move sooner. I guess we moved off of the farm when I was 16, but no, they always let me be with my grandpa. They knew that he was drinking. They just let it go on. And just kind of turned a blind eye to any of the drinking. I mean, they never, never would have called me out on that. You know, I didn't do it openly in front of them, but they, I don't know how they didn't know.
0: Was, would you describe him as the patriarch of the whole, the whole farm area? Like grandpa's kind of in charge?
1: Definitely in charge. So people have asked me since then, like, was there any abuse? And I'm like, no, none of us were ever abused. Well, physically. So I mean, it was definitely you knew he, he ran the roost and, you know, he kind of pays for everything as it goes down the chain, everybody's house that you live in, you know, and pays most of the utilities on all the family houses and everything. So he was definitely the man in charge.
0: The reason I asked, you made me think what, my grandfather was definitely a strong patriarch as well. And for most, certainly all of my most of my adulthood and uh, most of my adolescence as well he drank a couple of cups of coffee in the morning and then he switched to beer he wasn't drinking hard alcohol but you know he was drinking beer by 9 a.m and I remember the one time when my grandparents came to visit us here in Colorado I'm an adult I've got I had one or two kids at the time and uh you know but he was still very much large and large and in charge. My, my parents were here on that visit as well. But I remember we went to Red Rocks amphitheater, not to see a concert just to see it. Cause it's beautiful. And we went in the morning and when we were getting back in the car, nine o'clock in the morning, uh, my dad said, we got to get a beer for poo. We got to get out a beer for Papoo And I remember thinking, so I get to drive with an open container with my kids in the car. Like, how is this okay but he was that patriarch so nobody questioned it no, you know nobody would dare say can you wait till we get to the house you know poo poo it was just it was just a given that what he wanted was was kind of what he got and you know in the end it, it wasn't a big deal but it had an impact on me kind of mentally that i had grown up with uh that uh not just amount of consumption but that frequency of consumption and it sounds very similar to you, it was just kind of ever present. No one questioned it,
1: right? Actually, when you say the beer thing, my grandpa wouldn't let anybody drink.
0: Oh, you really? had to drink
1: hard liquor, so he would never buy me beer. I had to buy hard liquor too,
0: because it wasn't like tough enough, like for me right. enough.
1: Right, right, <laughs> right. Wow, yeah, he just didn't understand that. <laughs>
0: That's interesting. Really interesting. <laughs> So, so you grow up at this environment. You're the one that likes farming. If you're the one that likes farming of the grandkids, you're the one spending a lot of time with him. Right.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So you grew really close.
1: Right. Grew really close. Um, so then I had an aunt that was still living at home and she had a kid at a young age too. So then like, then he had a grandchild that lived right in the house. Um, but I would say, yeah, in the Formative years, like when I was growing up, I was definitely kind of the favorite, um, and it, it kind of shifted later, I guess, because kind of started recognizing some of my own problems with my own drinking and that. And so, I don't know. I, it kind of it kind of ended up biting me in the butt a little bit. Like I'm I'm kind of the black sheep now because I don't drink and haven't for a number of years.
0: But How fascinating is that that you're the you're <laughs> the black sheep because you. You don't because I
1: don't, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So I'm typic- I'm typically the target at any family gathering.
0: Hmm. Wow. So tell us the graduation story.
1: Yeah. So, um, in my family, I guess it's some people say that it's a blessing because we've had so many out of wedlock births, and people say, "Well, that's so nice that your family just accepts that," and you know, there's no you know, suggesting an abortion or suggesting giving a baby up for adoption, like that everybody's just so loving and accepting of all these children born on woodlock. And, um, but to kind of set the stage a little bit, it's like, you know, those things are, they're kind of common in my family, to be honest, whether you're married or unmarried and you're having babies with people that aren't your spouses, it's it's just kind of what happens. And people don't often graduate from high school. um, I'm the only person in my family that's ever gone to college and graduated from college. Um, but when it came time for my high school graduation, there had been a number of us in between me and the previous last graduate. And so I asked, you know, tell my grandpa it's graduation. And, you know, this it was a smaller high school, so there's none of those limits of how many people can come. And my grandpa said, no, he couldn't come because graduation was at two o'clock and you know, that's drinking time. So he couldn't come. So he didn't come to my graduation. Wow. But Then he proceeds to come to my graduation party by himself. And he was really, really drunk. And my dad just immediately had to put him back in his car. My dad drove him home and how my dad got home or whatever. So, because this time, by this time we had moved off of the family farm. So
0: but I am not surprised that that story needed to get out of you when you talk about the bond that you formed with your your grandfather and that he was the patriarch and just the fact that graduating high school wasn't a given, which oh. honestly it is in a lot of families these days, you know, um, but the fact that it wasn't a given, so it was special and kind of a big deal and that. You know, we, we talk a lot about how people figuratively or kind of covertly choose alcohol over their relationships, but he's mm-hmm. flat out told you that's why he wasn't coming.
1: Correct. Did right. it hurt
0: at yeah. the time or is it just now looking back that you're able to see where that would be painful?
1: Um, I kind of remember shrugging it off at the time and then just being really embarrassed when he showed about my party because then mm-hmm. I had like some of my classmates in that. And I mean, he wasn't, he was like, really obliterated like (laughs) by the time that he showed up so it wasn't even like you could have thought yeah no it was bad.
0: as a former drinker myself I can't help but wonder if he made that decision told you what his decision was and then felt enough guilt about not going to your graduation that he drank extra and that's what resulted in him showing up at the party in that condition that sounds sounds like it's Um, right out of my playbook um, (laughs) for sure so, yeah hard to put yourself in 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 his mind, obviously. Um, that's super interesting. Another one of the stories that came out for you when you wrote to this prompt was about your pre-marriage relationships. so are we talking like high school college kind of years?
1: yeah, so in high school, um just started dating young, had an older boyfriend, and he had. Um, alcohol and drug addiction problems. I would say the the only boyfriend that I've ever had that I didn't think had a problem with alcohol is the only one that actually has long-term sobriety now that he thought that he, like a few years after we stopped seeing each other, he actually started calling himself an alcoholic and quit drinking. And he probably has 10, 15 years of sobriety or something. And I'm like, wow, he's the only one that I thought didn't have a problem um, hmm. no, but the older boyfriend, um, yeah, no, he was older and, um, he didn't particularly want me to do things with him, which was an kind of an interesting thing. I thought throughout the years, like he wanted to drink and do whatever, but he didn't really want me to do those things with him. Um, so we dated like he was protecting you years.
0: kind
1: of, I don't know, I guess. Huh. Yeah. No, his buddies would have to slip me anything <laughs> because. He he really didn't want to, but no. So then we, um, well, now looking back, it seems silly, but when I was a junior in high school, then uh, we got engaged and then the fall of my senior year, he actually broke up with me and he told me that it was because he, well, I had known about this gal through course of people, but um, she was a stripper. And so he just told me that he was going to start seeing her and like our engagement was over. And I guess it was just really felt like quite a betrayal because, I mean, obviously he met her and started pursuing this relationship when we were engaged. And so, yeah, that came out pretty bitter during the course of this writing. Like, wow, I don't
0: think. Were, Were you... You, you said that you're the black sheep in the family because you don't drink, but it mm-hmm. sounds like at the time you, you would, if, if occasion arose, like you, you, um, you weren't.
1: No, I liked drinking for a long time. So as a kid, yeah. I mean, and usually I, I had to even drink by myself because my grandpa would buy it for me, but then he wouldn't let me drink and drive. So I just was drinking by myself or with some of my cousins that lived down the road, um, and okay, then... so, you're,
0: so you're still drinking, but still, mm-hmm. y- you, you're a, a junior, senior in high school. You can still, I mean, I know this is, be, is stereotyping, but I also know you and I are the same age, and I know the, the kind of culture that we grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you have to be saying, gosh, I'm a good kid. I'm graduating high school. I'm going to go to college, and I'm getting dumped for a stripper. I mean, there had to be right. kind of a moral... Slap right. in the face to that, right?
1: Right, right. Because, and again, like in my own home that I was raised in, it was drug and alcohol free. Like, and my parents were definitely encouraging me to pursue education and to, you know, or stuffing any negative things that were going on in our house. But yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was a real, it was a real blow that, yeah, that it, it bubbles out. It's, bubbled out different times with my husband now. And yes, it's a really
0: hot topic. I can imagine. I can imagine that that's that's painful for sure. I had a a girlfriend my freshman year in college who we dated our whole freshman year. And then she went on an internship the summer between her freshman and sophomore year and slept with some guy during her away internship. And uh that was devastating to get over. I wonder if that guy was a stripper. That would make it even even worse, probably. Well,
1: a person thinks, you know, <laughs> just like, okay, it's their job, and you think of it as like that they're I don't want to say like found as players. So I don't know how to describe it, but you don't really realize that, you know, it doesn't it, it it happens just like it could happen in a movie, that they are also prostitutes or they are also yeah, people who are just looking for someone to take care of them or to have a relationship with. I I didn't know those things and I just felt like how does that happen and what were you doing there or you know how did this even come about and yeah it just makes you feel really really dirty as a 17 year old kid
0: sure I am and and you already
1: feel dirty about yourself because like you're already like yeah doing things that you shouldn't be doing
0: well I, I am really glad though that you that you brought you, made that point that regardless of what you do for a living, you still deserve emotional connection with another human being. And you just still deserve to be in a relationship. I think certainly I am a thousand percent more open-minded about how people, what careers people choose to pursue. And I certainly don't look upon the uh, occupation of, of whether it's sex work or, um, or exotic dancing or any of that disparagingly the way I did, back when I was in high school or college. So I'm glad that we both got an opportunity to talk about what it was like in the moment, You know, when you and I were growing up and when we were that age, but also excellent point you made, just because you choose an occupation that's different than mine, doesn't mean you don't deserve love and relationship and and affection and all of that. I'm far less judgmental now than I used to be. So thank you for bringing that into the conversation. How, Liz, how did you meet your husband?
1: Well, we're from a small town so everybody knows everybody type of thing. But our I mean our first date was we went to a keg party. Um, and we just I don't know, immediately kind of started in drinking together and then just as as per, you know, as as we age, I think it's kind of common that one of you mellows out and the other one maybe doesn't or I think you know. Um when we first got married though, I did go to AA and I was going to Alanon and And then once we had kids, I just really kind of lost any desire to drink. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But you were concerned enough about your own drinking to go to AA, huh? Yeah.
1: And I would say most people looking at me kind of making those comparisons, they would say, well, you don't drink as much as so-and-so, or I've never seen it as a problem. Like, yeah, you were drunk, but you never had a DUI or any of these things, but I would say you never really know what's going on in someone's head. And no one really knows how much time I spent planning, like, well, I can drink until this time and I better not drink, you know, long more than this or whatever. And well, you know, I screwed up and, you know, now I'm hungover and I'm growing up at work and like, I don't know. I think people that probably told me that I didn't have a problem. That was just because they drink more. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. It's it's definitely a self-diagnosis. People, you know, we call it mental gymnastics, spend so much time thinking about this. The internet is littered with 20 question surveys that you can take about whether or not drinking is a problem for you. I've been a proponent for years that there's only really two questions. Are you thinking about drinking when you're not drinking and that can either be positive or negative. It can be I can't wait till the next time I get to drink or you can Be feeling remorse from the last time you drank. So, are you thinking about drinking when you're not drinking? And then, is it causing negative repercussions in your life? And that can be big ones or it can be small ones. But if those two factors exist, then you'd probably, you know, I don't care what you call yourself, you'd probably be better off uh, if you didn't drink, if you, you know, took the alcohol out of your life. And so, um, yeah, I, I can really relate to those thoughts. You know, this is, this is when I'm gonna drink. This is my window of opportunity. This is how much I can't overdo it. I got to not mess up this situation, and then oh, I did anyway, and now I got to deal with the back end. So, well, I'm glad you're sober. I'm, you're one heck of a awesome black sheep to me. So I'm glad that's the situation that you're in. Um, you mentioned Alan on as well. Was that because of your experience with your grandfather and other family members? Um. Well, I
1: suppose I. I think I kind of went thinking too, you know, like much like this writing assignment, kind of went thinking it was just for my husband, but then more would come out and my grandpa definitely would come out. And then I also have an aunt that I'm very close to, or, you know, was when we were growing up, she's only four years older than me. So I would notice that even in Al-Anon meetings, that a lot of that would come up and, and she was still tangling me in her web and calling in the middle of the night and whatever too. Mm. So yeah
0: mm, wow so was your husband's drinking problematic right right from the outset like because i think you said alan on pretty early on in the marriage yeah?
1: yeah 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 i mean i i knew it for sure like and it was a bumpy road dating i mean we had on and off again for many years before we finally decided to get married and then he was sober when we got married um and then ended up in jail. When our baby was, our firstborn was only like six weeks old, four weeks old, six weeks old, he ended up in jail and then a lot of remorse and then he quit and he was sober and he went to AA for about six or seven years and then he started and then now he's been drinking for 15 years again.
0: So when you addressed this writing prompt, the stories of the childhood on the farm came rushing out. You uh, wrote down the story about being dumped for the stripper, but you also shared that you had some realizations about your marriage that kind of came out as a part of the, the writing process. Can you share some of that?
1: So you mean like after the, after I wrote it and after I kind of, um, Flipped out, or or what do you mean? So
0: so I just and part of the problem is my notes are based on the day you read, and that was a long time ago. But I wrote down that there were some realizations from your marriage that were relevant. Am I remembering? Am I incorrectly remembering that?
1: Well, I think and one thing I don't know if this is what you were thinking about, but um, so a couple months ago. my kids now are young adults still living at home. And my husband, I I don't know if he'd ever bought alcohol for them before or not. So they're now one of them is old enough, but um, at the time they weren't And I walked into our shop and he had bought alcohol for the kids and he was drinking with our kids. And I just completely like, felt like something just flipped a switch. And I, just felt like, this is it. My therapist has been telling me when it's time, I will know it. I will know when it's time to leave. And I thought, this is it. This is the time. And so I packed my bags and I went and stayed with a friend for a couple of days and each day felt like a week. And so even though it was two days, it felt like two weeks. And then I finally came home and just had some realizations and it actually didn't come out until maybe I'd been home for a week or two where I thought the reason that that kicked me so hard is because it did. My husband buying for our kids just reminded me of my grandpa. And I, I I feel like, you know, and I think i mentioned that even though my boyfriend was older, he didn't want me to drink. And so he wasn't sending me on my merry little way with alcohol. Like, I just feel like, if I wanted to start drinking when I was 14, because my grandpa was buying it for me. And so seeing my husband drinking with my kids who aren't of age, I just, I thought, oh man, you know, you, you've made your own life chaotic. And what are you thinking doing this for our kids? Like, I don't know, like, I don't want my kids to sneak around and do it either or get it from wherever, but I just certainly don't want either me or my husband like making it easier for them or encouraging them just when it runs so deep on both sides of our family. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I just, but I, that didn't, I didn't put those pieces together right away either about the like way that hit me so hard for me to pack my bag and leave my house.
0: I think that's so interesting. So it hit you hard, but you didn't know why, like this right. was an infuriating thing to witness. Did you, yeah. did you think this is, this must just be a last straw. This must just be on I top think I a did, pile yeah. of other stuff. Yeah. And, and then eventually you realized, Oh, it's not just a last straw. This ties directly into my childhood. Right. Yeah. yeah. That that's super fascinating. Have you, have you shared that with your husband at all the impact of that experience and why that was so triggering?
1: Yes. So I finally did. And so, there, I will say, like, that's something that I've gotten better with is at apologizing to him. And and I don't, I mean that in a very healthy way, not like, um, not getting, not, I don't want to say like getting him off the hook, but playing or admitting my flaws, because otherwise I feel like, you know, I was always very good at p- pointing out his flaws. And, his are just more obvious. I mean, I, I feel kind of horrible saying that, but you know, more people would look at what he was doing and be able to say, like, oh, that was a bad idea. And they are just more blatant in your face. Well, and so I think that's alcohol, been helpful when I've when I've kind of owned my own stuff too.
0: Alcohol tends to kind of shine a spotlight on our own flaws. So um I don't think there's anything wrong with you saying or thinking that his stuff was more obvious when we're drinking uh mm-hmm. you know the it just becomes glaring the things that decisions we're making and and the way we're living our lives being questionable um so but but you feel good about the ownership and now let me ask was he if you if he'd be drinking and you would be arguing would he be quick to point out your flaws was was that part of your story
1: Uh, That my, if my husband would be, is that
0: what you're asking? Yeah. Was he, did he often, you know, say, yeah, I might be drinking, but Liz, you do X, Y, and Z.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, definitely name calling and everything else, um, which he doesn't do when he's sober and, but yeah, he can be pretty vulgar and, you know, I think that's probably his shame coming out. And so he just really unleashes on me. Um, But I guess, I, I don't think I fully answered the question about like, when I told him why that triggered me so much with the kids drinking and, you know, then I was just careful also to point out like, yes, it reminded me of my grandpa, but you're not my grandpa because my grandpa really did set off quite a chain of events in our family. And I mean, of all of my first cousins, like there's a few that aren't drug addicts and alcoholics but few and far between and I just feel like you know like we talked about he is the patriarch of the family like no yeah we're all responsible for ourselves but he really and I'm encouraged all of it you know
0: well and you but you were seeing a glimpse of what could happen when you found your husband drinking with your kids this is the this is the path. Right. This is like lighting a spark, right? This is right. the beginning of creating what the path of destruction that you witnessed with, with your cousins, like you were mentioning. I mean, I can only yeah, imagine how. I just
1: how... So don't want that for my kids because I just feel like they've got it on my side of the family. They've got it on his side of the family. And my son is pretty open about it. And he will say now he is 21 and he hasn't drank since he's turned 21 um, a little over a week ago, but um. You know, he just said, I'm well aware of the possibility of addictions. And he's like,
0: "Mm."
1: he's a little more hesitant. You know, he's, he's thinking about it a little more. He was like, why do I think it would be any different for me?
0: So when you went from realizing that you were really mad about your husband drinking with your kids to realizing why and tying it back to your childhood, was that part of this writing process or did that come to you kind of separately from the writing?
1: Separately. Yep. Came afterwards, I think. Interesting. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know if we were going to talk about it or not, but after I wrote this, it was the day before the call. Then Um, I actually did just have like, I don't know, there's really no way to describe it other than I felt like I was possessed. Like, I don't know what was coming out of me. I've never felt so out of my mind in all my life, like just this crazed lunatic, like they should have put me, I don't know, like my husband had to physically restrain me because I was just so out of my mind. Like, I just really felt like I was just purging all of these toxic thoughts. And and I didn't share that um, with him at the time. I just kept saying like, I'm so stupid. And, And I think he had maybe been out a few days before and I'm like I'm just so stupid because I believed that maybe you were you know it was going to be different And I, I probably did all the things that you're not supposed to do when someone you know, is trying to <laughs> to be sober but it was like I just I couldn't stop and and I was just blaming myself and I was just stupid and like literally thrashing around and pulling my hair and just I don't know, and so he restrained me. He got me over to the couch, and then I just started like just sobbing, just these big, deep sobs, and and then I was just like, I was just like lifeless, <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then he just comforted me, and and still now, now I have read him that writing from that day, but I didn't tell him that that <laughs> that, that was because of uh, that that that's what had happened that day. But now he's heard my writing.
0: I'll never forget the first time I heard somebody say that they were afraid to start crying and expressing the emotions because they were afraid once they opened up that spigot, they might not be able to turn it off. And when you told that story, you made me think of that when you had this, you know, hugely emotional response and, and kind of lack of control that sounds to me like years and years and years of stuff that's just pent up. And it's, it's found a crack to come out through and it is coming out whether you like it or not. Did it feel, afterwards kind of looking back, was there any relief as a result of of all of these realizations?
1: Yeah, it was. And I feel like I I still have had one other day when I was really um, probably just, you know, didn't didn't behave in a way that was helpful to the situation. Um, But as a whole, I feel like, with this journaling and I've journaled since that day um, just kind of working on myself. And so that I I think just kind of coming to the realization that I may work with my husband till death do us part, or I might not, but I will always live with myself. And so just kind of trying to like, I have to work through these things regardless. So let's just work on me. And it, it's been actually really surprising to me how quickly my husband has turned around and been nicer and quicker to apologize for things or rather than just letting nitpicking things overtake um, to just be really quick about it. Just be like, I don't know why I was so short with you right there. I'm really sorry. And, and move on. Like it's not a big deal. Um, Which is just because I've, I've, I don't know. I feel like I have a part-time job right now listening, (laughs) listening to podcasts or, you know, reading different things in the echoes group and just thinking about things and journaling Um, it really like, it feels like a part-time job, but I feel like I've never been so close to getting my husband back to how he was when he did have his long spell of sobriety.
0: That part is so fascinating. I love how you said that. You might not always live with him, but you'll always live with yourself, which is all the justification you could possibly need for focusing your recovery attentions and your reading and researching and healing and learning attentions on yourself as opposed to him. And so if I'm hearing you correctly, when he started witnessing that and seeing you work on yourself, that's when he started to respond in, in the way he's responding, where he's more cordial and quicker to apologize and all of that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it happened pretty quickly. And you know, even when I said like, like I've owned my part of it and I don't like, I'm not just apologizing to him, but there was something like, I mean, God just laid it on my heart. Like I don't know if you're from in Proverbs, it describes a wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman plucks it down with her own hands. And Mm. when I really thought about that for myself, I'm like, "Mm, oh, ouch, how nice am I? Or how much am I? If you know that someone is drinking because they're ashamed and you, and you research about alcohol and its effects on the brain, oh, wow. I was really kind of just, oh keeping coal or, you know, just fuel in that fire. And then another scripture talked about the contentious drippings of a wife. And I just thought, Ooh, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if I would just start being nicer and not point these things out because he knows them. He knows when he does something wrong or when he's been out. So I don't really need to point that out to him. Um, and when I was gone for those two days, like, I just really miss my family. I really miss my family and my home. And I just thought I, I want to work for my family. And so even now, when there's some things I think that's not fair, why should I have to bite my tongue? Like I should tell them how I feel. And then I just think, well, I mean, I can have these feelings of resentment or that's not fair, or I can have my family back and just work through these things so I I kind of feel like I've committed to myself like let's just work on myself and see how this works and like I said like it's been really a pretty quick turnaround where he's been responding and I don't really need to be stuffing those negative emotions And, and he hasn't been out drinking and he does call and say this is where I'm at right now and I don't have to call him and say uh, oh, you've been gone for like three hours. Where are you? He's calling me and telling me those things because I'm nice when he calls rather than accusing or probing or fishing for information.
0: There's so much nuance to it. It's so interesting. I mean, what I hear when you talk about working on yourself and not being, you know, asking questions in his direction is that's that's an example that's a form of detachment which we talk a lot about I've I've said so many times I'm just amazed at how much better my marriage is with Sherry how much stronger our relationship is now that we are both stronger individuals for so long when I was drinking in an early sobriety we were just like glommed onto each other and just um, I mean I don't I hate the word but it's accurate. In this case, we were just codependent on each other. We're just all up in each other's business all the time. And when she detached and said, you know, Matt, I don't care about your stuff. I don't, I'm going to work on me and you can work on you or you can not work on you. That's going to be up to you, but I'm going to work on me. That had such a profound impact on me individually, but also on our marriage. Our, our marriage is better than it's ever been. And we are less connected than we've ever been. And that's not a coincidence. That's, act, that's actually a, a really great thing. So I just think it's really interesting to hear you talk about, I'm going to stop, you know, basically nagging him or questioning him or um, because it's a nice thing to do for him, but it's, it's also uh, allowing you, you said you got a part-time job researching recovery. It allows you to spend that time on your part-time job, working on you and being less focused on him. So there's kind of like a couple of different ways to say the same thing and have the same result. And I'm just so happy for you that it's working out for you.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead.
0: I, I want to go back to, um, You talked about when you were having the kind of of out-of-body experience tantrum that you were saying, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid. Because so many people experience alcohol addiction firsthand or secondhand, but there's so little talked about it. When you look at that now, do you see that it was less stupid and more you know, ignorance, because the information isn't readily available. Like, have you cut yourself some slack from that? I don't think you're stupid at all. I think the insights that you're talking about in these realizations are like graduate level stuff. You're, you're uncovering things about yourself and your relationship that a lot of people never can kind of get to. Have you cut yourself some slack from that and realize that the reason you didn't know what you didn't know is because nobody knows this stuff?
1: I, I guess um, my family too, they're, they're sufferers, so they don't talk about things. So, like, my mom will never, you know, acknowledge or talk about, you know, what she felt growing up with her dad. Um, I don't know, I just, part of me just felt like I should know better, I think, was a piece of it. Like, by now I should know better than to expect anything. I mean, it was kind of a feeling of almost, I don't I don't know what the right word would be, just, I should know better by now. <laughs> I'm just cool. so dumb. Like, why do I think it's going to be different?
0: Oh, I don't know. You've been through a lot. You have a lot of uh, childhood experiences and family experiences um, that are hard to explain and, and hard to kind of rationalize. And I'm just super impressed with the work that you've done. To uh, to figure this stuff out, you know, largely on your own. Uh, and I know there's a lot of listeners that are come from families full of stuffers. So I know there's a lot of people that are going to relate to this and learn from your story. And I'm sure there are people right now that are thinking, "What is she talking about? She she shouldn't have known better." The fact that she's figured this out is quite impressive. I I know I'm impressed. That's why we that's definitely why we wanted to have you on. So tell me, Liz. When you think about, again, going back to this line that I just absolutely love, you might not always live with him, but you're always going to live with yourself. In addition to that, focusing your attention and allowing you to say, listen, I'm going to work on me. Does that also give you peace and reduce some of the, the stress and pressure to make the marriage work? I think we all, we all have this goal to be married, you know, to one person forever and I think that's a, an excellent goal but I just I also feel like that puts a lot of pressure on us to make thing make a square peg fit in a round hole when it's just not going to go there. Do you feel having that mindset relief and feeling like, you know, it's going to come what may, it's going to it's going to be what it is. Or do you like or do you still it's
1: going to be okay. So one of the things that I had journaled was um, I don't, I'm trying to think how I phrased it. Like, you know, if I didn't live with my husband, okay, if, if I weren't so consumed by his drinking, what would life look like? What kind of books would I read? What podcasts would I choose? How would my health improve? How many hours would there be in a day? And I thought, well, all those things are true. Like I can do all those things, whether I'm married or not, but it, it just it kind of has encouraged me to think about my own interests, I think. And you know, obvious the obvious answer to that question is there's the same amount of day hours in a day. Um, but it's just trying to kind of get away from some of that overly overthinking and just being so consumed by the alcoholic in, in your life that well, I'm, you just have to find the balance. So like, even though I'm spending a lot of time and reading a lot of books about addiction, you know, its effects on the brain, just, I don't know. Also just trying to pursue like, who am I? Like, cause for so long then I've been a wife and a mom and now these kids are getting older and. Oh, I I need to figure that out. So, yeah.
0: The, the literal answer to how many hours are there in the day is is 24. But the poetic answer is, there's a lot more hours in the day when you're not consumed with chasing around an alcoholic and and worrying about an alcoholic. So I I, that was so beautiful what you just read. So what have you come up with so far about who you are and what your interests are? Have you made any progress kind of figuring out what's what's next for you? Not specifically as it relates to your marriage, but just beyond that? (laughs) No, no. Is it an exciting chapter, an unwritten chapter? Well, kind of. I kind of feel like my life's
1: a little bit just like on hold, though. Like, part of me, like, I'll say, I'm just kind of feel like I'm just idling, like, just kind of waiting to see how this goes and, you know, wondering if I get a job outside of the home. And because now I've been at home and homeschooled the kids, and now that phase of life is over. And, um, Yeah. So just kind of wondering if we're, you know, family together and I help with our family business or I have a life of my own somewhere else, I guess. So I'm still in an idling stage.
0: I don't know about idling, trying to figure it out. It's hard work figuring this stuff out. I, I, for one, am just so impressed with how kind of intuitive and introspective you are. And I have a feeling now that you're focusing on you and what the next chapter holds for you, that there's going to be some pretty great things if we just have the patience to wait for it and wait for it to come to you. So yeah. I also, I think your your spirituality is going to serve you really well because that's clearly a grounding part of your life and uh, that that can't help but to open up doors that are unexpected. I yeah. hope you're excited about it. I'm pretty excited to see what where you go.
1: I Well, I kind of am too. And like a lot of times I've picked a word of the year. And so this year I've kind of decided on vulnerability.
0: Yeah, and maybe. so when
1: you, when you are vulnerable with people, it is amazing how much you can help the other person as well. And so I don't know, like, I guess even in the midst of some of these hardest months that I've been in, like, when I go to church on Sunday, I just think, okay, my own life is a wreck. And I'm like, Sleeping in my basement, and you know I'm not sleeping with my husband, like just awful. And I think, okay, but how can I be a blessing to someone else? And I'm like, if they had any idea, like you know I'm not talking to my husband, and they knew what was going on. But I don't know, just being vulnerable. And then when you get in a smaller situation, you know, a smaller um, social setting, and you you share and you're vulnerable and you kind of share a little bit of what you're experiencing, um, it it does. It really opens up for other people to share too in a, in a trusted environment.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, as a narrative nonfiction writer, I don't think you could have chosen a better word of the year than vulnerable. I think that's really fantastic. And I appreciate, I mean, it takes a lot of vulnerability to come on here and share your story like this. And I can't tell you how much we've appreciated you doing that. I know there's only 24 hours in a day and i know you're a busy person so i appreciate you spending one of your 24 with us thanks for being on the intoxicated podcast liz before you go we hope you'll consider these three resources if you love or loved an alcoholic we offer support and connection in our echoes of recovery group check us out at echoesofrecovery.org if you are a high functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety